Chapter Six of the Fairies and the Christmas Child. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fairies and the Christmas Child by Lillian Gask. Chapter Six: The Seven Fair Queens of Pierrot. Once upon a time, said Millicent, there dwelt at the castle of Argoge a noble lord who was famous not only for his bravery but for the extreme beauty of his dark features and slender form all women loved him but though he served them with chivalry as became a knight he sought his pleasure in the woods and fields rather than in their company he knew what the brook was humming as it gurgled over the stones and the wind told him all its secrets as it rustled among the pines sometimes he wrote these things on a sheet of paper and read them to himself aloud as he lay on the green sward the fays in the forest drew near to listen for the voice of this lord of argoge was sweet as the lute of orpheus and their lovely queen lost her heart to him day after day she hovered by his side sighing when he was sad and rejoicing when the words he sought came quickly to his pen once when he looked up suddenly he saw as in a vision a silvery veil of misty gauze half hid her exquisite form and out of this her face looked down upon him pure as an angel's but with the love of a woman in her lustrous eyes as he sprang to his feet she melted away in a white cloud and close to his ear he heard a mournful sigh as if her spirit grieved to be part from his and he wrote no longer of flowing water or whispering wind but of the lady of the woods for many a day he saw her no more for henry the first of england coveted normandy the ancient patrimony of his house and sent his armies to take possession of it when the city of bayeux was besieged the lord of agoge was among its most gallant defenders and his resource and daring were the talk of all none who crossed swords with him lived to tell the tale for his courage was equalled by his skill one morn a giant sprang from the enemy's ranks a lusty german well over seven feet with the limbs of a prize-fed ox i dare you to fight me singly lord of Argoge, he cried for he knew with whom he had to deal the soldiers near stayed their hands to watch the hearts of the normans almost stood still but the english exulted for surely now would the lord of Argoge bite the dust and his fiery sword no more work havoc in their ranks their dismay was great when he proved himself victor though they would not have wondered had they had vision to see how ever beside him moved the shadowy form of his lady of the woods directing his arm that his aim might be swift and sure and oft-times interposing her tender body between him and the german's thrusts later on when the gallant knight fainted from his wounds and was left for dead she tended him pitifully as he lay on the blood-stained earth moistening his lips with the dew of heaven and whispering such sweet thoughts to him that the weary hours were eased by blissful dreams he was still alive when morning dawned and was found by his friends and carried into camp though visible to him alone the lady of the woods was there beside his couch and the terrible sights and sounds that accompanied the merciful efforts 
of those who tended the wounded could not scare her away from him when his suffering was over and he could raise himself to eat and drink she came no more and as his strength slowly returned he was consumed with a passionate desire to find her at length he was able to go home to his castle and once more he roamed the forest the songs of the birds were hushed by now and the trees under which he used to rest were almost bare it was autumn for he had been long absent and even yet his step was slow and his proud head bent with weakness he was sick with longing for his gentle lady if i do not find her i shall die he cried presently he came to a glade where the naked boughs formed a splendid arch above his head and he saw a troop of horsewomen riding toward him on snow-white steeds in their midst was his lady of the woods a bridal veil on her star-crowned hair and myrtle at her breast he awaited her approach in a trance of delight nearer and nearer came the prancing horses their skins of satin glinting in the sun the cavalcade reached his side the queen of the fays dismounted and stood beside him while the ground at her feet became a bed of lilies the lord of argoge threw himself on his knees amidst their fragrance gazing up at her with enraptured eyes as softly and shyly she bent towards him once more i greet you dear lord she said as she touched his forehead with her lips the birds still lingering in the forest burst into joyful song when the knight found words to tell her of his great love she plighted her troth to him but only he heard her whispered promise that she would be his wife once more she mounted her snow-white steed he seated himself behind her and thus they rode to the castle gates accompanied by her maidens here the lord of Orgorge sprang to the ground light as a wisp of thistledown she floated into his arms and to the amaze of the household who had watched the approach of the procession from the castle windows her horse thrice neighing changed into a bird and fluttered sorrowfully away farewell sweet queen her maidens cried and kissing their hands to her rode swiftly back to the depths of the forest then the lord of the Argoge drew the lady of the woods across the threshold of the castle and so queenly was her beauty and so gracious her demeanour that even his aged mother jealous of the son for whom she would have shed her life-blood found no word to say against his choice my love for him is naught beside thine the fay queen pleaded very sweetly for thou didst bring him into the world and hast anguished for him as none else can but i too have suffered on his behalf i pray thee let me love him too then his mother looked long and deeply into the eyes of the woman who had dethroned her from her dear son's heart and what she saw there filled her with peace be it as thou wilt she said and that self-same night the lord of Orgorge wedded his lady of the woods in the castle chapel which was decked with the fragrant lilies that sprang wherever her feet had trod the rejoicings lasted for seven days and the lord of Orgorge looked as one whom the gates of paradise had opened the queen of the fays was now to all seeming a mortal woman and so far from regretting that she had laid aside her rank each day found her more content in her husband's love 
and by every womanly art she knew she sought to please him one favour only she asked of him that never in her hearing would he mention the word death if you do you will lose me for ever she told him fearfully and he vowed by all that he held most sacred that this dread word should not cross his lips the years went on the lovely lady of the wood bore him fair daughters and gallant sons and all was well with the lord of agorge but one thing grieved him since the fay's sweet queen had linked her lot with his she too was subject to the laws of time and her beauty waned with increasing age the gold of her hair was streaked with silver and her face lost some of its soft pink bloom her lord spake no word of what was in his mind as he looked at her earnestly one bright spring morn but she divined his regretful thoughts and full sorrowful were her own the fays could not help her since she had left her fairy kindred to throw in her lot with mortal man and so with women's wit she determined that at the forthcoming festival at the court the splendour of her attire should make her lord forget time's changes she therefore summoned to the castle the most skilful workers in silks and broideries who toiled in her service day and night that she might be richly adorned at the royal tournament her gown was of azure satin encrusted with many gems and her long court train glittered and shone with gold and silver diamonds blazed at her breast and neck while a circlet of rubies glowed in her hair but their rich red lustre made her pale sweet face look paler than ever and she still gazed wistfully at her glass though the lord of Algourge waited below wondering what delayed her at length he sought her himself and in spite of his impatience he could but admire her resplendent attire you have robbed the sky of his morning glories he told her gallantly then as she lingered still his impatience returned fair spouse he said it were well if death should send you as his messenger for you tarry long when you are bidden to haste <gasps> forgive me sweet i should not have said that word his remorse came too late for the ominous sound had scarcely crossed his lips when with a cry of bitter anguish his lady became once more a fay and vanished from his sight long and vainly did he seek her for though her footmarks are still to be seen on the battlements of the castle and night after night she wandered round it clad in a misty robe of white they too met on earth no more she is pictured still in the crest of the house of Argorge, over its motto i love fay i liked this story but i wished that it had not ended quite so sadly when i said so to Melisande, she turned her face away from me and i think it was a tear-drop that glittered on her hand then i will tell you neither of pressina nor melusina she said for both these fays lived to rue the day when they put faith in the word of man it was different with the fair norina she demanded no pledge for doubt and distrust came not nigh her path and her love brought her only gladness the shadows lengthened the wood dove flew off to rejoin her mate and melisande's lips began to smile as she thought of another story long long ago she went on presently when our beautiful normandy was known by another name and formed part of the kingdom of neustria 
which was given to the duke of paris by charles the bald there lived a wise and noble lord who was said to have magic powers so gentle was he that the very birds would perch on his shoulder and twitter their joys to him yet so brave and strong that the proudest knight cared not to provoke his wrath he was skilled in the lore of plants and herbs and by means of a slender hazel from the woods could tell where crystal waters flowed deep in the bowels of the earth full many a maid would have flown to him had he lifted his little finger but though he was often lonely as he wandered beneath the stars his heart went out to none whether of high or low degree and he preferred his own company to that of a mate whom he could not love one may day he was up at dawn searching the fields for a tiny plant which had some special gift of healing the grass was spangled with myriad flowers but he passed them all till he came to the one he sought a small pale blossom of faintest lilac with perfume as sweet as a rose's while yet he held it in his hand he heard a cry it was that of some creature in pain and forcing his way through a prickly hedge he found a pure white dove with a broken wing lying under a thorn-bush poor bird he exclaimed compassionately who has dared to injure so fair a thing with tender hands he set the broken wing binding it to her side with three green leaves and some long-stemmed grass and fed her with juice from the lilac flower as he soothed her with gentle words when he had stilled her flutterings he laid her on his breast that he might bear her home and tend her until she could fly once more under the vault of heaven on he strode through the meadow and high in the sky the larks trilled their paeans of joy never to him had seemed the earth so fair and the morning sun tinged his cheek with gladness suddenly he felt the burden on his breast grow heavy and stayed his footsteps in surprise no longer did he hold a wounded dove against his bosom but a beauteous maid in pure white garb with three green leaves bound about her arm with stems of grass he set her on her feet and stared at her in amaze she met his enraptured gaze with eyes that shone like twin blue stars then her eyelids fell she drooped beneath his glance as a fragile flower beneath the sun's fierce wooing and as the wind sweeps over a field of corn when it's ripe for reaping love took possession of him fay or woman he swore this beauteous maid should be his wife if she were willing and he would guard her through good and ill while life should last art thou mine he asked her presently hoarse for very joy i am thine she said for she had loved him long and had but taken the form of a dove to try him and taking her home to his castle they were wedded by the holy priest no longer now was he lonely no longer did he wander solitary beneath the stars for the lovely fay was as true and tender as mortal woman and made him a faithful wife sons were denied them but seven fair daughters came and he called them after the seven gems that graced their mother's diadem the maidens were of such supreme loveliness that as they grew up to womanhood they were known as the seven fair queens each was without rival in her own style of beauty pearl was fair as day with a skin like milk ruby's dark splendour was a gift from the queen of the night and her red red mouth the bud of a perfect flower 
the glorious hair of amber fell around her shoulders in shimmering waves of light and sunbeams lost themselves in her lashes sweet turquoise had her mother's eyes of blue forget-me-not while sapphires were of a deeper hue and amethysts that of the violet chrysolites were a misty green like the sky in the early morning and no mermaid sang sweeter songs than she as she sat on the rocks at low tide there came a time when the father of the seven fair queens fell very sick and not all his potions could prolong his days his call had come and so closely were he and norina united that one eve at sunset her life went out with his for a while their orphan daughters wept with grief as they paced the gardens or sat by the crackling fire in the great hall but youth cannot mourn for ever and with a second spring glad hopes came back to them and once more they rode in the chase since they were rich as well as beautiful you may be sure they had many wooers but all preferred to reign alone when we wed it will be with fays they said disdainfully this angered their lovers and presently they were left in peace full wisely did they use their parents wealth improving the land and making sure provision for all dependent on their bounty on the coast of the cotentin they built the castle of Piru, which gave work to the poor for several succeeding years and when it was finished they filled it with gorgeous tapestries and all the treasures of art they could collect here they lived in splendour keeping open house no passing wayfarer however humble need miss a welcome if he cared to claim it they were still in the first full bloom of their beauty when their fame reached the ears of one of the great sea pirates the dreaded vikings who rode the waves like giant birds of prey north south east and west from norway and sweden and little denmark they sailed in search of plunder and such was their love of fighting that they would if need be challenge each other rather than allow their swords to rust with disuse although they robbed they were brave men and believed themselves entitled to all they took their vessels were small and light of draught so they could penetrate many rivers but the great chiefs chose the sea for their battle-ground and ravaged many a town and village on the coast of france when the mighty sigmund heard of the seven fair queens of piro he resolved to storm their castle and take the loveliest for his bride with this intent he set sail for the coast of cotentin with a gallant fleet the wind and the tide were with him he reached it one soft spring morning when the sea was a sheet of blue as the vessel which bore him neared the shore the viking espied a bevy of maidens in a sheltered cove where the sand lay in golden ripples ruby and pearl and the gentle turquoise sported in a sun-kissed pool while sapphire and amethyst wove wreaths of seaweed and amber was smoothing her shining hair with a slender shell of mother-of-pearl that the waves had thrown at her feet chrysolite sat on a dark rock singing and her soft clear notes rang over the waters enchanting sigmund with their music by thor and odin he thundered our journey was well planned haste thee my men and get me to that rock that maiden shall be my bride 
the boat sped swiftly with sigmund sitting in the stern his yellow locks streamed over his stalwart shoulders and his face was like that of some eager god as he noted chrysolite's beauty the maiden saw his approach and now the glad notes of her exquisite song changed to a mournful rhythm she was chanting the words that her mother had breathed to her seven daughters as she lay a-dying women yea my daughters fair cloudless spreads the sky but when menace fills the air fays as once was i slender arm shall change that day into snow-white plume winged as birds haste swift away from thy threatening doom as the last words left her sorrowful lips chrysolite sisters gathered round her the boat's keel grated on the sand and sigmund sprang eagerly forward at the same moment the seven fair queens of pyrrho raised their arms and instantly these changed before his eyes to fluttering wings high in the air mounted the maidens and to the bewildered gaze of sigmund they were naught but a line of snow-white birds flying westward in single file high up in the sky when sigmund had somewhat recovered from his amazement he and his followers sacked the castle and pillaged the surrounding country it did them but little good for a storm blew up as they sailed back northward and the ships that carried the stolen treasure were wrecked on the rocks as for the seven fair queens they mated with fays and were glad as the morning every year as spring comes round they returned to Pyrrhus with their numerous descendants in the form of a flock of wild geese and take possession of the nests which they have hollowed out in the crumbling walls they also appear when a child is born to the house of Pyrrhus, if it be a daughter and fate has destined her for a nun one sits apart in a corner of the courtyard and sighs as if in sore distress if a son is born the male birds display their plumage and show by their mien that they rejoice melisande rose from her throne of ferns it will be twilight soon she said and we must go see the mists are already rising in the valley and the night birds awake and call farewell dear christmas child farewell and stooping down she kissed my forehead End of chapter six. Recording by Maria Brook, New Zealand.